Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast, Episode 14. There's some good stuff happening in the employment market. A lot of uh, hundreds of thousands of missing, they're calling them, missing job seekers between long COVID, unfortunately, people who are just debilitated by long COVID, and then other people, mostly baby boomers, who are dropping out of the workforce before they were expected to, working for themselves, but... Or, or not working, but not using a full-time job such that employers are really scrambling for talent still. So that's a really good thing for job seekers. But still, there's some real nonsense and really upsetting and unethical things happening in the working world as well. Obviously, with the uh, union busting, unlawful union busting of Amazon and Starbucks and others, But what I want to talk about today is this story making the rounds in the business media. Ugh, Google and Meta and Salesforce and other other large tech companies actually admitting to ratcheting up their performance standards in order to get rid of more people on so-called performance grounds. So think about that. You have a job and you have your goals. And then your boss says, yeah, those aren't the goals. The goals are higher and you have to hit the goals or else you are failing and we're going to terminate you for cause. The reason to do it is to cut payroll costs and also in some cases not pay unemployment compensation to those employees. It's not like the companies pay the unemployment. The state pays in the United States, the state pays out unemployment checks, but it's uh, they collect the money from every employer uh, based on a number of factors, and one of them is how many claims have they had in the past. So if you are an employer and you have a lot of people claiming unemployment, your tax rate goes up. Your unemployment tax rate premium essentially goes up. They don't want that, so they try to keep people from getting unemployment by saying they were fired for cause. I mean, how low down can you get than to have an employee who did their best, presumably their best for you, you never fired them up until this point, or even put them on probation or anything like that, and now all of a sudden we raised our performance standards to get rid of more people and lower our costs that way, thereby getting rid of someone's job and crushing their self-esteem in the same conversation. If you think about it, If employers can just ratchet up performance standards anytime they want and say, well, we're justified in putting this person on a performance plan or getting rid of them because their performance is the problem, then why would we trust anything they've ever said? That's obviously a very cynical move by cynical people. Has nothing really to do with performance. If you wanted to fire your entire workforce based on performance, you would just make the performance standards un- irrationally, you know, infinitely high in that case, unreachable. Yeah, well, we set unreachable goals, so too bad for you. You didn't hit the goals and you're fired. This is the kind of stuff that I, after all these years looking at the workforce, at the workplace, it still startles me that you would be so cold and, and justify it like it's a reasonable business move. Well, we've just raised our standards. The thing is, like, the the equivalent to this is, you know, we had a layoff and it's based on performance. Oh, my God. Really? You're going to actually be so low down 
and disgusting to claim that your layoff is based on performance. All 300 or 600 or 5,000 of these people were doing their jobs yesterday. They weren't on probation. They were doing their jobs. But now you've decided that based on some thrown together formula, cobbled together formula at the last minute because you need to cut some headcount. Now these people were fired for performance. Sure. Right. Sure. Massive numbers of people that weren't doing their jobs. No, it has nothing to do with performance. That is a smokescreen. That is BS. And that's the kind of thing that I hope, I hope everybody pays attention to because these are the vendors, you know, you get to work with or not work with. And also the firms that you get to work for or not work for. It's just unbelievable that anybody would say, we're going to take away your job. And also to stick the knife in even further, we're going to say publicly and also to you that it was based on your performance. Well, yeah, sure. Of course, because you can call anything performance, but maybe it was mismanagement that you didn't see what was happening in the world or what was happening with supply and demand or where your costs were getting out of control. Or maybe it's even a bigger problem that you were you know, slavishly devoted to pleasing shareholders at the expense of everybody else, particularly employees who work for you. So we're going to talk today about performance reviews as a topic, because I think it's an area that almost every working person runs into um, and an area that creates a lot of stress for people. So we're going to we're going to dig into this topic of performance reviews. A funny thing about performance reviews or performance appraisal is that it's really not typically found in small organizations, little tiny, you know, shops. They don't, when they, when everybody can talk together, they don't sit around and evaluate performance. At least I hope they don't because it, it wouldn't be healthy in that kind of culture. And I would make the argument that performance reviews are never, never healthy, never appropriate, never needed, and actually are destructive. And I've been against performance reviews for a really long time. My background is HR. I was an HR leader first in a startup and then another startup that became a Fortune 500 company, large company. And so talking with hundreds of people then and in the years since about performance reviews, I've come to the conclusion that they do absolute harm and no good whatsoever. And I'm going to break that down in this podcast episode today. If you think about a meeting once a year that has all kinds of weight on its shoulders. You couldn't come up with a meeting that has more ladled on top of it in terms of expectations for this meeting than the annual performance review does. Here are 10 things that performance reviews are expected to do. Some companies look for six or eight of these things. Some companies look for a different five or six, but basically this is the set of 10 expectations that we tend to laid onto the performance review meeting. And that's why it's such a big deal and it causes so much stress and nobody really likes performance reviews, managers or employees, or for HR people who administer the performance review systems for that matter. The first goal, stated goal of performance reviews as a process is to review the last year's performance, the progress against goals between a manager and an employee. Okay, great. I think that's a good thing to do, to review the last year's progress, just to look back and say, here's what we set out to do. How did we do? What did we learn? You know, what are some of the high points along the way? Just that, that, um, that look back 
exercise is, is healthy and good, I think. In one case, it's healthy and good. And that case is where there is trust, where an employee feels comfortable speaking their truth in that meeting. And unfortunately, that's not often the case. So even that really worthy goal of reviewing the last year's performance is really tainted and contorted and made ugly by the fact that the manager feels tremendous pressure to not just review the last year's performance and talk supportively about what did we learn and what would we do differently next time and what were the triumphs and all that, but also to find fault with the employee's performance, no matter how good it was. Why does a manager feel pressure to find fault with an employee's performance, no matter how good it was? Because they have a limited number of budget dollars to spread around in the form of salary increases. And so nobody can be that good because the dollars are limited and they have to rationalize that and defend that by saying, you didn't do such a great job last year and pointing out where you might've messed something up or fallen short or whatever, whether it's valid or not. This gets back to linking performance reviews to salary increases. When I put a poll on LinkedIn every several months, just to check in on this topic, and I ask the folks, what should be the biggest determinant of an annual salary increase? They say your performance review rating. And that, my friends, is brainwashing. That is brainwashing. It should be based on your performance. Yeah, for sure. I remember in the 80s when I was a child in my first jobs, performance reviews dictated your annual salary increase and somebody could get 10% and somebody else could get 5%, which was okay. And someone else could get 2%, which was a message that something is really wrong. But nowadays, the average salary increase at an annual performance review is under 3%. So the idea of tying that tiny increase to your performance uh, and and using those minuscule, tiny hundreds of a percentage point to distinguish between the best and the worst performers is an insult to all of us and a huge insult to managers who are supposed to slice and dice so finely like it's really going to make a difference. The good news about the fact that companies are still in love with this idea of tying performance reviews and the and the salaries together somehow, like, like you're going to find a distinction between someone who's getting 3.15% uh, increase in their paycheck and someone else who's getting 3.475. Absurd. No dollars when you actually boil it down after taxes. Minuscule. Not enough to pay for your cat's food. But, but the, the benefit is that managers feel like, okay, well, you know, at least if I can tell people you did a better job, you're getting a better increase, maybe they won't focus on what the actual money is, but it's, it's, it's broken. It's a broken, broken, broken system. We should not be tying uh, salary increases to how well, especially on a subjective basis, a manager feels that you did in the past year, we should be tying it to what the job pays out in the world. You're familiar, I'm sure, especially if you listen to this podcast, with the term salary compression. That means the the penalty, the loyalty tax that you pay for staying in the same job at the same company for a while 
because your job is undoubtedly getting paid more for people newer in the job at other companies or potentially even at your company. And the salary compression is the effect of staying in the same job and getting that 2.75 or 3.0 percentage increase. Whereas if you had changed jobs, were doing even similar work someplace else, you'd get a lot more because the market moves faster. So this is one of the biggest goals, perhaps the biggest goal of performance reviews in the traditional view. And that is to review last year's performance and progress against your goals. And out of that, to uh, determine your salary increase. And that's the most broken part of performance reviews. We can talk about goals, but we shouldn't say, well, you know, you made this mistake like back in February. I realize it's December now, but I, I, I haven't forgotten. That's, that's just ridiculous. That would never motivate anybody. All that would do is send an employee out to indeed.com or somewhere else to get another job as well. They should, it's not even manager's fault because they're forced to have those conversations, but it is ridiculous and it's a big waste of time. A lot of companies have gotten rid of performance reviews for that very reason. Massive time suck, doesn't help anybody, and there are better ways to calculate someone's uh, annual increase. It should be based on what the job pays, the market rate for the work. Virtually everyone has been in a situation where you know, a manager just came in and had a completely different expectation of what the job should be. And yet that person who did not set the goals, who did not manage you for most of the year is the one performing, uh, executing your performance review. Ridiculous on the face of it. But that's what we're stuck with because we have this antiquated system. So one of the big goals, maybe the biggest goal traditionally of performance reviews is to review the last year's progress against goals. And it falls apart right there doesn't work. doesn't work. If you didn't hit your goals perfectly and you say, well, you know, we had that massive um, denial of service attack. Our website was down for almost a month and then we changed all the priorities and we had, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. No, it literally matters. It has, it matters more than anything. Well, I still have to evaluate you. It's just bureaucracy at its worst. It's soul crushing and it makes people quit, makes them lose interest and quit. And it's bad when they quit, but it's really bad when they just don't care. And no one can blame them because of systems like performance reviews. So that's number one goal. Number two goal, of course, is to give you a grade. You got to get a grade or it's not a performance review. Then it's just a conversation. They got You got to get a grade. Excellent, outstanding, whatever, above average, average. This is, this is heinous. And if we were just a little bit more removed from the workplace. We, we're so steeped in it. We don't see it like the fish doesn't see the dirty water they're swimming in. The idea that we would think that we could grade adults, complex people, you know, bringing a lot to a job and say, you get a 4.5, you get a 3.7. And that any of that would mean anything is just so absurd. And this is another reason why performance reviews need to go away. There is no reason to give someone a grade. There is no reason you can pay them what the job should pay. You can give them a bonus or a bigger increase if they did an amazing job. You can pay them fairly. That would be way better than paying everybody little different slices. You get this 2.72% and you get 3.16. This is insulting to all of us. And it's actually kind of shocking to me that we can't see that such that when I do a survey and say, you know, should we pay people uh, based on the market rate of the job or their performance review overwhelmingly 
people come back on my LinkedIn polls and say it should be based on performance. They've lost sight of the fact that performance and the best performance by this standard will never even get you up to what the job should pay. And it's like you're focusing on the wrong things. You're focusing on, I don't want somebody else to get an extra 75 cents an hour in their paycheck because they didn't do as good a job as I did. That's absurd. That's ludicrous. That's a misuse of your power. And you're actually, your power is seeping out all over the floorboards when you take that view. Like it's more important what somebody else gets relative to what I get than even that I get paid fairly. That's brainwashing. I'm trying to shake you out of that. Third goal of performance reviews is to set your salary. We talked about already the fact that performance reviews are the worst way to set your salary. If someone's really not doing the job and it's a huge problem, we should talk to them about it and figure it out or they should leave. It's not about, well, you're doing a terrible job, so we're going to give you a tiny increase. What's that going to do? They're like, well, I still have the job. Why would that be an answer? It's a weird, punitive, paternalistic, gross mindset. We got to get out of it. You know, when it comes to performance reviews and pay increases, that uh, a lot of research has shown that they are only motivating to the tippy top performers. And it's the same way in school. Only the kids that get straight A's get motivated by report cards. Grades in school also make no sense. How would that motivate a kid? Oh, you got C's and D's. Oh, well, you're a bad kid. That's the message. It's the, always been the message. Somehow you failed. How'd I fail? I came to school. I did my best. Isn't the school supposed to help me with this? No, no. Obviously you're a bad kid. It's really gross in this day and age. Another goal of performance reviews in the traditional view is to get feedback from your boss. Well, here's the crazy thing about that. Feedback, of course, any kind of feedback, positive or suggestions for improvement on something could be given much sooner to the event where the feedback arose. Give the feedback in the moment. Give the feedback right away. Don't wait. Don't wait to acknowledge or praise someone. Don't wait to tell someone, oh, you know, I love the way you talk to customers on the phone, but that was a little, a little uh, too, too, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Familiar. It was a little too familiar with that customer. Um, I, 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 I was a little uncomfortable and I wondered if the customer was comfortable when you were talking about their kids and stuff, you know, we try to just stick to how was your weekend? How's the weather? Feedback in the moment is more honest because that's when you had the feeling to give the feedback. You wait, you're going to wait and give feedback months later. It makes no sense. And it's sneaky and it's weird. And, and managers say, I have to hold on to feedback and give it to an employee months later at their performance review because I'll get in trouble if I don't have some negative feedback to put on this performance review form. Think about how gross that is, how inhuman that is. That's the opposite of a human workplace. And it's the opposite of leadership. Another goal of performance reviews is to set goals for the next year. That's a great thing to do. Just like revisiting the year or reviewing the past year, setting goals, of course, is a wonderful thing to do. Doesn't require giving anyone a grade. Doesn't require giving them feedback. It's just setting goals. And it's a great and healthy thing to do on its own without being burdened by this idea of evaluating and assessing and ranking and comparing and giving someone a grade. Another 
goal of performance reviews has been to strategize. Once again, always set goals and then strategize and brainstorm around those goals, short-term and long-term, most definitely super fun and super uplifting. And this is great conversation. Doesn't need to be included in a performance review because it can happen anytime. Here's a big one. Number eight on my list of 10 reasons that people cling to the idea of performance reviews. These are the expectations companies have for their managers conducting performance reviews. Number eight is to document problems. And I absolutely love this because I'm an HR person, as I mentioned, and the conventional wisdom around this is, well, you have to document performance problems in a performance review so that if later you want to terminate an employee for performance reasons, you'll be able to point to the performance review and say, look, we documented this in your performance review in June. Now it's November. You haven't corrected the problem and you're gone. But I'm here to tell you as an HR leader, every single time a manager came to my office, angry, frustrated and said, I need to fire this person. They're not doing their job. We pulled out their most recent performance review and looked at it and it was never, ever, ever documented as a problem. And I said, well, now this doesn't show up in their performance review, which took place six weeks ago. And the manager would always say, well, I was trying to motivate them. I didn't mention I was trying to motivate them. And by the way, that manager has a good instinct. I don't blame them. Who puts in writing you're bad at this or you're bad at that or you need to get better at this or that? If you are going to give that kind of feedback in a performance review, it's always kind, right? That's how we write. It's always, you know, Jerome is working on this or that. Sally is working on this or that and making good progress and that should continue. If someone is really in such bad straits that they they can't do the job, you're probably not going to write a performance review and mention the problem. You're probably going to elevate the problem and try to fix it. And that's the correct managerial response. So this idea that somehow performance reviews are necessary because we have to document problems in case we get ready to terminate the employee later, that's ludicrous. It doesn't work that way. And it's a very bad way to solve that problem. A ninth rationale for performance reviews is that we'll use the performance review time to talk about your career path. Yeah, it's a good thing to do. You could do that anytime. It doesn't have to all be dumped on this once a year meeting. All of these great things, brainstorming and talking about your career path and sharing feedback and sharing feedback in both directions, giving the boss feedback. This could all happen at any point and it doesn't need to be formal and it doesn't need to be dictated by HR. You know what employees want? They want their raise appropriate to the job and the marketplace and they want guidance and acknowledgement and support along the way. And the thing is that if your managers are not providing that support, it's because the employer has not created the proper environment for them to be able to do that. Legislating, you're going to meet on the employee's one-year anniversary or all the reviews are going to take place in December. We're going to do this big, huge process. Do you think that really impacts performance? Do you think that really helps employees perform more effectively? It doesn't. It's a burden. It's a burden on employees. It's a burden on managers. You should stop doing it and have more conversations and less filling out of forms and no judging because it doesn't help you and no comparing and no ranking and no grading. The final reason for performance reviews, the rationale is 
to strengthen the relationship between employees and their managers. Oh my God, I feel sorry for a manager who goes into a review meeting and has to deliver. Here's this feedback. Here's how you're graded. Here's your raise. Let's strengthen our relationship. Those two things are not likely to happen in that conversation. Those three things. You can strengthen the relationship anytime. You can do it right now. Any random morning, evening, afternoon. We got to get rid of the grading piece and replace it with paying market salaries and having conversations about what the job is worth. You got to get away from the idea that we're ranking employees, the biggest contributors to the lowest contributors. That is the enemy of teamwork, obviously. A lot of companies have gotten rid of stack ranking where you force employers, uh, uh, managers to rank their employees best to worst, uh, just unspeakably bad, but they're still doing it in their performance reviews. By the way, they dole out pennies and the average still remains 2.75 or 3.0% increase year over year. Obviously, that doesn't give you very much wiggle room. It's not going to motivate anybody. I heard an awful story, really awful story. A few years ago, I had lunch with a woman who was a director, a a, a department head at a community college, and we met for lunch, and she was disconsolate. She was really sad. She said, I just came from my annual performance review. She was great at her job, magnificent at her job, and widely acclaimed in the community as well as in the institution she worked for. And I said, well, what happened? She said it was horrible. I had submitted all my paperwork. I accomplished all my goals. I met all my goals. I had my enrollment numbers. They're great. You know, uh, 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 student, you know, participation in extracurricular events and everything is just great at our campus. Everything is great. And my boss said, look, I have some tough news for you, but it has nothing to do with you, but it's just something that I had to do to make the numbers balance. And that is, I gave you a 1.9 rating out of five. I gave you 1.9. It's the first time she'd ever had a rating under 4.5. This time it was 1.9, bottom of the barrel. She said, I had to do it because I don't have a lot of budget money this year and I had to give the money to an employee who will leave if they don't get a good raise. And I knew that you would not leave. So I had to give you a small raise. It's 1.5% and uh, the 1.9 rating matches the 1.5%. So that's how I had to do that. Um, And the employee, the department head was shocked, of course. And she said, are you kidding? I mean, this is so low. It will put me on probation with the institution. And her manager, the VP said, yes, that's true. But I will speak to HR and tell them you're making a lot of progress. And by the way, I really appreciate you taking one for the team. Taking one for the team. So this is the perversion of anything resembling leadership or guidance or uprightness or ethics, right? Taking one for the team means I'm giving you a horrible performance review as though you didn't do your job at all this year because that's what I have to do to match the tiny little pay increase I'm giving you. And it's what's wrong with performance reviews as a mindset. You can get rid of performance reviews right now. You can just junk them. You can just stop doing them. You can have fertile worthwhile, human, honest conversations that build relationships. And you can talk about goals and you can share feedback and you can post mortem stuff and look at the past and you can look forward and you can brainstorm. You can pay people with the job. 
demands based on the market data, which is very easy to get. But I want to leave you with a little bit of practical advice today, and that is how do I get ready for a performance review? Notwithstanding all these reasons, Liz, to get rid of performance reviews, I have one coming up and I need to get ready. So here's what I want you to do. The first thing is if you can find your goals from a year ago or your last review period, get the goals. That's the first thing. You don't want to talk about I did this and I did that and here were my accomplishments without being able to look back at your original goals. Whether you think your manager will remember them or have a hold of them or not, you should have your original goals and really dig into those and say what happened, what, what, what got changed, what went array, awry, what went astray. You know, talk about your goals, think about your goals and then write a little paragraph or two about your progress on your goals. And, you know, really think about it. Maybe they weren't the right goals. And that's fine. A year's a long time. So first get a hold of your performance around your goals, both the, the quantitative stuff and the qualitative. Because you might have built really important relationships this year. You might have taught someone how to do something they didn't know how to do. You might have rallied people around a big initiative that hadn't even been on anyone's radar screen a year ago. You might have solved a process problem that was nowhere in your goals, but you still did it and it had a great effect. So I want you to look at your original goals and look at what happened against each of those, but then also capture everything else where you made a difference in the past year. Put it on paper, put it on paper. If your boss is a reader, the person who's gonna be doing your review, send it to them in advance. If they're not a reader and you need them in the room or in the Zoom call with you and you need to go through a PowerPoint with them, then do that. Think about that person and how they take in information best. And then have an idea of your goals for the coming year. You want to show up at your performance review meeting with goals for the coming year. I don't like the smart. It's not smart. There's, there's, a, there's a goal setting um, uh, framework called smart, smart goals. Oh my God. It's like specific I don't remember what they are. Specific, measurable, actionable. I don't know what they are. Specific, measurable, something, something, something. The crazy thing about this smart goals mindset is that it doesn't say how, what, well, what should the goals be? You're telling me attributes they should have. They should be specific. They should be measurable. First of all, the workforce, the, the, the workforce, the mechanical working world we all inherited is obsessed with measurement. And listen, Measurement's cool, it's fine, it can be really, really useful in a lot of ways, but just because something is measurable does not make it a better goal to aspire to. And the fact that something is difficult to measure, like many of the important things in the working world, certainly anything having to do with people and their emotions and their feelings or momentum, very hard to measure in the moment or in the short term when it would do the most good. We can't discount that stuff because it's hard to measure. Like you can't measure your culture or the trust level. You can't measure it. Surveys, I've talked about that a lot. I'll talk about it again, I'm sure. But employee opinion surveys are not accurate, don't give you a good barometer, and they actually make it worse because they send this really awful message that here's when we'd like to hear from you and here's what we'd like to hear from you about, right? This is how you get to slip you know, information to us, the prison guards, through the cells, uh, the bars of your cell. It's not, that's not a good way to gauge culture, right? You get that by feeling it and walking around and talking to people and having relationships where people are gonna be honest with you. 
So the fact that something is not easily measurable by conventional means does not mean it's not important. It could make or break your organization. So I'm not a fan of the SMART goals framework. It's horrible. It's from the 50s or I don't know when, but very, very madman era mindset. The fact that a goal is specific doesn't make it better, right? You know, it depends on your job, obviously. We tend to tell people to set goals that they can imagine and execute in the framework of where they are right now. Sometimes the most important things to do require smashing the existing mindset and doing something wildly different. We don't really empower people to do that. So I don't want you to use that SMART goals framework, but I do want you to set goals. And those goals, really the way to start thinking about your goals and your job as you approach your performance review is just to say, what is broken? And what's the most broken? It's annoying to me. It's annoying to other people. It affects a lot of people. It affects customers. It affects vendors, whatever. What's the most broken? Let's be honest. That's where our goals should come from. Then you go to the other side of the spectrum and say, okay, so what's something that's not broken, but it could be so much better and it would really open up the ceiling and really create entirely new possibilities for us if it just was much, much better and much cooler. And that's the two extremes. What's the most broken and where's the biggest opportunity for things to get way, way, way better. And that's where I want you to focus your energy in terms of your goals. I want your goals to reflect the work that you actually are paid to do, not all kinds of other things above and beyond your job because you already have a job. If you have a job, and you have metrics associated with your job, then those are a big part of your goals. And other stuff, it's cool and it's fun where you can squeeze it into your schedule, but you're not paid to do two jobs. So I want you to be realistic. That should be, maybe maybe that's the R, I don't know. I forget what the SMART goals are, but I know I don't like it. Okay, so now you've got your last year's uh, learning written down against your original goals and you've got goals for the coming year proposed goals that your manager has to endorse or bless and then you've got any other observations and all of this can go on one or two pages third category is any other observations about things you've been wanting to talk about with your manager and this is kind of a weighty meeting it's kind of a significant and important meeting so you bring up those topics you say we need to talk about sales compensation or we need to talk about you know our pricing or whatever or vendor quality whatever it is and you start a conversation at a high level about things that need attention and that's your performance review those three elements and if you go to performance review and you get bushwhacked because it does happen and you get cut off at the knees like like the woman that i told you about it's deep breathing. It's deep breathing and saying, I am more powerful than any of this. I am powerful. I don't even know how powerful I am because I, I haven't tested my power in, in enough situations that, that will allow me to really know how much incredible power I have. But I know I can breathe my way through this. I know I can breathe my way through this. So just deep breathing. By the time your manager comes to your performance review, they pretty much decided what they want to tell you. And if they have a problem with you, you're much better off keeping your counsel and not speaking and not saying this is unfair and this is wrong and your information is incorrect. It's way better for you. It's more of a power position to just say, I need to think about this. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. I'm going to take it seriously and mull it over. And, um, you know, thanks for the conversation. If you're really upset and you feel like quitting, do not say I'm upset and I feel like quitting. That 
That is not information your manager needs to have. And unfortunately, given employment at will here in the United States, it would weaken your position tremendously, put you at risk. So you say, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And, um, you know, I'm going to mull it over. If it's wonderful feedback, great. It's wonderful feedback. They could have given you verbally and you didn't need to have the performance review. There are people now who will not go and work in a company that has performance reviews because they just feel like performance reviews are one of the pillars of fear and control. And they are. I mean, they are. They have no business purpose. If you wanted to buy a copier or you wanted to buy some piece of software, you'd have to make a case why that would help the business. So I ask you, why has never, has anyone never, why hasn't anyone ever been asked to do a business case for the massive expenditure of money and time that performance reviews require? Because you don't have to justify a pillar of fear and control.